2: a neighbor of mine who refuses to get the COVID vaccine. I don't know what to say to convince him to change his mind. Perhaps there's nothing I can do other than simply listen. But it is disturbing that my neighbor and so many other people are vaccine hesitant.
1: And it's so frustrating because we are at a time that ought to be a moment of great triumph. I mean, the way these vaccines were developed in record time and rolled out across the country is really a wonderful breakthrough in public health. And yet we've kind of hit a wall in terms of some pretty large pockets of the population just saying no.
2: We're going to talk about the Delta variant and vaccine hesitancy. Renitha Julian.
0: I don't think that anybody's going to be able to do anything and say here's the magic piece of paper here's the magic piece of information and everyone is gonna all of a sudden get in line and say okay i'm ready i think it requires which sometimes is difficult to have some patience
2: Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do we we fix fix it? it? How do we
1: fix it?
2: Another division has widened in recent weeks in our already polarized country, the one between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated.
1: The spread of the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus is getting worse, and it's largely affecting populations that are mostly unvaccinated. The CDC just announced that About half of new cases of COVID-19 in this country are the Delta variant, which spreads much more easily and might be also more dangerous. We still don't have all the information on that. At the same time, cases in a lot of urban and suburban areas, some of the more affluent areas in particular, continue to fall.
2: You know, two-thirds of adult Americans have now received at least one vaccination. And in comparison with even other wealthy nations, that's a pretty strong vaccination rate. But that two-thirds number nationally contrasts with several states where the rate is much closer to one-third. Mississippi is one example. The state's medical officer, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, spoke at a medical briefing a few days ago about the stark differences between people who had a shot and those who didn't.
1: The past 30 days, like 93% of our deaths are an unvaccinated. It is the unvaccinated people who are dying, the unvaccinated people who are going to the hospital, the unvaccinated people who are getting diagnosed for the most part.
2: Thomas Dobbs, who called the low vaccination rate in Mississippi pitiful.
1: It's really frustrating. We're seeing pockets of the country where hospitalization rates and even ICU utilization is going up. And across the country, We're still seeing deaths decline in particular. We're seeing new cases of COVID kind of bouncing along at about 12,000 new cases a day, which is not the drop that we had hoped for. But what's particularly scary, but also interesting about this is the Delta variant puts unvaccinated people at special risk in a way that's different from previous, less transmittable forms of COVID.
2: On a recent episode of NBC's Meet the Press, Chuck Todd asked Dr. Anthony Fauci about this. Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. If you look at the number of of deaths, about 99.2% of them are unvaccinated. About 0.8% are vaccinated. No vaccine is perfect But when you talk about the avoidability of hospitalization and deaths, Chuck, it's really sad and tragic that most
1: all of these are avoidable and preventable. Later in our podcast, we'll look at why the vaccines are so remarkable and what's different about the Delta variant. But first, we're going to revisit the interview we did earlier this year about vaccine hesitancy
2: vaccination rates are much lower in some rural red states than in most of the country. Rates are also lower than average in many communities of color. Why is this, and how do we persuade more people to get the shot?
1: Dr. Ranitha Julian is professor and department chair at Rush University College of Nursing in Chicago. We originally reached out to her after seeing an article she co-authored called Building Vaccine Trust in Marginalized Communities. We thought this interview was really worth visiting again as this Delta variant puts the entire push against the pandemic under new strains. Here's the interview.
2: The resistance to getting a COVID vaccine for many people could be a big barrier to progress against coronavirus. How serious is this problem?
0: I think that the problem varies among populations. And I think in particular, among minority, African-American, Latinx populations, that it is a significant problem.
1: Another group that seems to have surprisingly high rates of vaccine anxiety or concern is, is Republicans. And it seems like you have a number of these groups that don't really trust authority, and they're not sure that the vaccine's have been tested adequately. How can you reassure people that these vaccines really have passed through legitimate testing, despite it being probably the fastest vaccine approval we've ever seen?
0: Right. I think that's one of the disadvantages of calling it Operation Warp Speed, because you you think, you know, how many steps has somebody skipped in terms of getting to this place? but what was reassuring to me was to look at the science, look at the research, and it went through the exact same steps as all other vaccines, that there was just more attention to it and more intensity related to it in terms of urgency. So they did not skip any steps in uh, the development of the vaccine. So that was reassuring to me.
2: Now, in Black and brown communities, many people appear reluctant to take the vaccines against COVID. You're an African-American nurse with, with many years of experience of working with patients. Have you learned some reasons why people are reluctant?
0: I have. And it stems from a long history of mistrust, a long history of mistreatment of African-Americans and other groups in healthcare systems and research. And unfortunately, those are the things that stick in people's minds. They don't shake off that uh, Tuskegee experiment. And whenever you even talk to someone about research, they're like, well, you know, what about Tuskegee?
2: Well, tell us more about that Tuskegee experiment, uh, which happened over a 40-year period. Starting in the 1930s, the U.S. public health system conducted a study on untreated syphilis in black men in Macon County, Alabama, and it turned out to be a revolting example of racism.
0: What happened is they were following individuals who were positive for syphilis. And somewhere along the course of observing people with this disease, an effective treatment came up, penicillin, which could effectively cure the disease, and they withheld the treatment from the African-Americans just to continue observing the impact.
1: You can see why that would resonate even, you know, across generations. When people that you know bring that up, what do you say to them?
0: I absolutely tell them that I understand what they are thinking and how they feel about it, because I feel in a similar way that how can you trust systems that have behaved so horribly in the past? And it's really hard to shake that off. But What I compare it to in some ways is that the difference now with COVID is that there is treatment and they are offering it and they are really intent on trying to distribute it in an equitable way so that those who are most impacted actually get the vaccine. And i found that the answer is not to me to sort of rattle off this scientific um, list of reasons why they should get the vaccine, but listen to their concerns and really tell them my thinking about it and then allow some time. Because I think over time with thinking about it and how things are going, a lot of people are changing their minds.
2: In our interview with Dr. Jillian, Earlier this year, she told us that during the Trump administration, there was open disregard for Black lives. This, in combination with the term Operation Warp Speed, may have led to an increase in vaccine hesitancy in Black and brown communities.
0: I think it's not going to be an instant change. I don't think that anybody's going to be able to do anything and say, here's the magic piece of paper Here's the magic piece of information, and everyone is going to all of a sudden get in line and say, okay, I'm ready. I think it requires, which sometimes is difficult to have, some patience in terms of let's talk about this now. What are your questions? What are your concerns? And then let's talk about this again. And that's even happened with my own family.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, um, whether you have close family members or or friends who say, I don't want to get this shot.
0: I do. I do. I have family members who have said that they don't want to get the shot. And for some, after having a conversation and telling them what I know in terms of what I've researched and looked up on the vaccine and the fact that they know that I love and care for them and wouldn't intentionally do anything to harm them, I think that has made some traction in terms of my own family and also the fact that I was happy to stick my arm out to get the vaccine.
1: One thing we hear a lot from people who've studied vaccine resistance is that it doesn't work to just say, oh, no, you're wrong. The science is all great. Sometimes people actually get more dug in in their position if you confront them head on. That doesn't sound like it's your approach. I mean, your approach is not to confront
0: them head on, but to listen a little more? Exactly. To listen a little more and to listen a little more often so that it's not just once that you're listening. And I think part of the problem is that you can find arguments to the contrary of anything you're talking about if you search for it on the internet, if you're on, you know, Uh, social media, you'll have somebody saying, I'm Dr. Such-and-Such, and and I know that this vaccine has killed a million people, and they're not telling anybody about it. So if you search for it, you'll find it, whether or not it's truth or fiction.
2: Well, we're going to talk about solutions in just a moment. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our guest is Dr. Ranitha Julian. Let's talk about how we may improve vaccine acceptance rates in the weeks and months ahead. Do you and other healthcare professionals play the most important role in in bending the curve?
0: I think we play an important role, but maybe not the most important. And And I'll say that sort of thinking about it in two different ways. One, I think that health professionals of color play a key role in helping patients of color believe or trust some of the information that's out there, which is why it's so important that we work so hard to increase the diversity in the healthcare professions. So that's one one thing. But from the other side of it, our role may be more important in supporting people in the community, church leaders, individuals out there who have the trust of the community. They don't have to earn it. They already have it. And we can support them by providing them with the information that they need, providing them with the resources that they need. If they need us to come out and give a description of how the vaccine was developed or how the vaccine works in the body, I think the partnerships with people who have already established their trust in the community probably is the strongest way to go about it.
1: You've said that one key resource can be barbershops and beauty parlors.
0: Yes, yes. Those barbers and those beauticians would need to be armed with the right information in order for that to be an effective approach. And that's where I think healthcare professionals have a place in terms of here's the playbook, here's the menu, here's the information that your customers will want to hear. In a way that they can really absorb it.
2: Do you have examples of how states or local communities are making a difference and trying to reach out to communities where the vaccine acceptance rate or or the actual distribution of vaccines is low?
0: Well, I'm 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 proud to say that uh, at my own institution, they had a ministers vaccine day where it was a Saturday and they invited church leaders from multiple denominations. So they weren't just saying African-American church or Latinx church, literally every denomination they could think of to have come in and receive the vaccine and also make that information publicly available so that people could see that these church leaders had confidence in the process.
2: What do you say, Renitha, to people you know who don't want a vaccine against COVID? Do you have any personal strategies, apart from from listening and trying several times, that that might help other people convince their relatives to get the vaccine?
0: Well, I, I think, again, the importance of talking about how the vaccine was developed, talking about how the vaccine works in the body that, you know, with some vaccines like the flu, they give you a teeny tiny, tiny, tiny dose of the flu to help your body figure out how to fight it off. And that's not what they do with COVID. They're not injecting you with any vaccine at all. They're just teaching your body how to build up a fight against it if it runs into it. So talking about what happens with the vaccine, how the vaccine was developed, and I believe that my family knows that I love and respect them and that I'm not going to tell them something that is harmful to them.
1: Have you had cases of COVID in your family or your immediate circle?
0: Yes. My 93-year-old aunt died last year from COVID. I've had someone in my immediate household with COVID. So, yes, it, I don't know anybody who hasn't been touched in some way by this virus.
2: Dr. Renitha Julian, thank you for joining us on How Do We Fix It?
0: Thank you. I hope I was helpful.
2: You sure were. This has been great. Much appreciated. Dr. Renitha Julian of the Rush University College of Nursing in Chicago. Next, before our conversation, it's our recommendation. Jim, you have something. I don't know what it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think this one might be a surprise for you and maybe for some of our listeners, too. I'm actually reading a book by Rachel Maddow, along with author Michael Yarvitz, that I really like. And as you can imagine... Uh, my political worldview doesn't always mesh perfectly with Rachel Maddows, but good reporting is good reporting, and a good story is a good story. And the book is called Bagman: The Wild Crimes, Audacious Cover-Up, and Spectacular Downfall of a Brazen Crook in the White House. And it's a story of Nixon's Vice President Spiro Agnew, the former governor of Maryland, who was just a spectacular kind of just spectacularly corrupt politician, like many of his predecessors and and followers in that state, who was literally receiving envelopes of cash as governor. And then uh, even in the White House. And it's about the group of prosecutors who brought him down and how the attorney general under Nixon, Elliot Richardson, actually refused to shut this investigation down and let these federal prosecutors do their work of investigating this person, even though he was the vice president of the United States. But notwithstanding, it's just a really interesting part of our history that's often overlooked in the shadow of the Watergate scandal, which, of course, was much more significant.
2: A surprising recommendation, but nevertheless, a good one by the sound of it. Thanks, Jim. Coming up next, our conversation. Jim, the first thing I wanted to ask you about, because you've you've taken a look at this, is just the astounding gap between those people who think that they don't need to take the the vaccine and the truth of the vaccines, which is a triumph for many different things from for public policy, for modern medicine, and for the pharmaceutical firms involved in in producing those vaccines. Yeah,
1: right. I actually wrote a cover story for Commentary Magazine a couple of months ago called Thank God for Big Pharma. Actually, my working title was Two point five cheers for Big Pharma. There's certainly elements of how that business runs that are are worthy of reform. But I I can
2: see, I can see why they chose the uh, the headline they ran with.
1: Yeah, but in the midst of a global pandemic, the industry deserves a lot of credit for its ability to get these vaccines out and tested so quickly. And I think the Operation Warp Speed was a great example of how a public-private partnership is often the best approach to a crisis or other goals. So it's just so sad in a way that this incredible breakthrough is almost immediately dismissed. People view it with suspicion or they dismiss it. So that lays the groundwork for different kinds of skepticism. And we were seeing two main types of skepticism about about COVID-19 vaccines in the more conservative leaning um, communities It kind of goes hand in hand with the general suspicion of elites and big government and basically anything that experts say, a lot of these people are are inclined to to dismiss. And then in minority communities, there's more of a a kind of at least a historical precedent for this. Terrible stories of experiments gone awry and not conducted ethically, uh, the Tuskegee experiment of course being really famous. And that has led to a kind of an overhang of suspicion of, of the medical community as a whole.
2: There is a lot of suspicion of experts, the media and modern institutions of democracy, especially from the populist right, in some cases outright rejection. That's almost certainly a reason why so many people in red states say, no, they will not have the shot. There was a very striking finding in a Gallup poll last week, Jim. It said that 57 percent of Republicans think the pandemic is over compared to just four percent of Democrats. In this case, perhaps pessimism may be saving lives and encouraging many of those who live in cities and suburbs people who normally vote Democrat, to be vaccinated.
1: I think we're lacking nuance on both sides of this. Democrats who want to hang on to the idea that the pandemic is just as bad as ever. It, it, it To me, it kind of fits in with a pattern of of almost sort of enjoying bad news as a as a justification for a certain political worldview. That
2: may be true, but I think the much bigger problem right now is among conservatives and among Republican politicians who've refused to really go out of their way to ask their citizens to be vaccinated. That's yeah. certainly not true in all states, but in and some it
1: is. It has. And Republicans have tended to be very cowardly in confronting the wacko fringe in their uh, In their midst. Actually, Trump just for the first time just the other day, and you know, he's kind of back out on the road doing rallies and stuff. He actually encouraged people to get the vaccine. I've been a little bit mystified why he hasn't been doing this. He could be the big hero, say, hey, it's my vaccine. I invented it. And I think that there's one area where maybe um, vaccine hesitancy on the right and the left overlap. I think people need to hear messages from people they trust. And that might be certain celebrities that can Put the word out there, but even more people in their community—people that they, they that they feel comfortable with—and I think if they can tell their own stories, that's probably a more effective to start changing some of these attitudes one person at a time.
2: Before we go, uh, leaving politics aside, what about this Delta variant? It really does seem to have upset the apple cart of optimism for this summer. It's spreading very quickly and does seem to be something that people should be concerned about and maybe even use masks in some cases indoors.
1: Yeah, I'm agnostic on the mask question. I'm hopeful that awareness of the Delta variant will help push some of these communities to take vaccines more seriously. There's some really good news about vaccines and the Delta variant. New research suggests that the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, and the Moderna uh, vaccines reduce the risk of people getting symptomatic infections by more than 90%. It doesn't mean somebody who's who's vaccinated could never get the coronavirus. Of course, all vaccines have a certain percentage of, of people who, who do get the illness, but usually a very mild version of it. Also even the people who do get the, the virus are much, much less likely, maybe 50% is likely to pass it on to other people. So this should also help reduce the spread of the virus. But there's this one other risk, this immune escape that we need to, to grapple with. As the virus keeps mutating in different populations around the world, especially parts of the world where very few people are vaccinated, the longer it takes to be suppressed around the world, the more likely it is that, that more variants will keep coming out. And eventually, maybe one of those will be potent enough to, to get around, or at least partially get around, the current vaccines. Fortunately, both these mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, are really well-suited for updates, you know, different kinds of booster shots where they can tweak the vaccine to address the new variants. So while we talk about reducing vaccine hesitancy here, that's a crucial battle. But also, I would really like to see the Biden administration do more. They're doing pretty much, but I'd like to see them do even more to fund the, the manufacture and distribution of vaccines to go around the world. We need to be doing this vaccine diplomacy even more than we all are already. We've got the best vaccines. They should be our gift to the world. It'll help us. It'll help the rest of, of the human population. And, and every minute counts.
2: It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies.
1: And I'm Jim Meggs.
2: And speaking of every minute counting... We're out of here. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Also do our share of media training as well. Find out more at DaviesContent.com. And once again, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.